for grace and uh, your, your mercy. And just, just that last song, Lord, and, and the things that you are to us, that the lost are found, the, the dead are raised, uh, the, the condemned are set free. I mean, all these things, Lord, we look to you because you are our release. You are our Savior. You are our all, our, our everything. Lord, I pray that in those times that we just kind of forget that or just go about our own business, that you would just kind of gently reel us back in, Lord, to let us know that you are king, um, our king, our savior, our God. So, Lord, I just pray that as everybody has come to this place this morning to, to hear from you, to be blessed by you, to be blessed by each other, um, that, that those things that we bring in here, Lord, would just kind of melt away and that we'd be able to focus on you, your word. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to each one of us. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so do you believe it? Wow, we've got like front row people now. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? We have, I mean, we're almost getting to be a real church because we have front row people, all right? And then we have the lost and found Bible thing back over there. I mean, that is classic sign of almost a real church. I digress. So, so the, this is week, week six of Lent, all right? And so the last five weeks have been this journey for us. And we started our journey through Lent on Ash Wednesday. And it's a, it was a very solemn service. We got together Ash Wednesday evening. And it was just a time to, to kind of remember who God is and who we are, to kind of remember who, or, or kind of remember what we've been saved from and, and what we've been saved to. To, to remember the cross and, and the love of God in the cross. And then, and then we took the symbol of ashes and we put them on our foreheads as a, as a remembrance that, you know what, these bodies, these bodies were made from dust and eventually they're going to go back to dust. But because of Christ and because of the cross, we, Jesus' follower, will have eternal life with God. That eter- word eternal, it's got this whole forever thing going on with it, okay? So, so because of that. And so then, and then we, we went into Lent. And Jeff Carter, who I finally got to listen to his sermon, on, uh, he kind of kicked off Lent for us. And, and I just love the way the Lord led him because he talked about covenant and he talked about the cross and he talked about life but i really was excited about where he landed in that in that whole teaching because he landed on this idea of of seasons and how lent is a season and we go through all of these seasons in our lives and there's summer spiritually and there's summer and there's fall and there's winter and there's spring and he and, and what i loved about it even in the winter season when, when almost our, our faith seems kind of cold and, and di- we see, feel distant from God, that God can still use those things to grow us. And how Lent was this, this season of spring and, and a season of growth and a season of God doing something. And then, then I was listening to it, and then he got into this. He was telling stories of how his family was evicted from two different apartments. Now, and, and one of them was because I got the sense that the first apartment they were rowdy, and so they got kicked out. Now, now here's the thing. I don't know if you ever met Debbie. She is like this gracious, godly, gentle woman. So I'm thinking, family being rowdy? I, I, I say, oh, nay, nay. I think, um, I think Jeff was kind of trying to, and, and then 
if I heard the sermon right, he got into a recipe for making beer. Talked about the barley seed and how it all breaks down. Now, as I was thinking about that, I'm just thinking, that's just good preaching right there. Okay, when you can bring, when you can bring the recipe for beer into a sermon, that's God. I mean, I mean, what, what, what else could you go with? So, and so after that, um, and, and really though, all joking aside, Jeff, I really appreciate where the Lord took you in that. And, and it was just, <laughs> and, and the thing was, you know, I, I didn't listen to it literally till last week. And, and I heard in his, the way he set it up or the way the Lord had set it up, how it just kind of lent itself into the things that I talked about over the next five weeks, which wasn't um, by choice. It was just by, you know, the Lord's doing. And so then we started to look right into the cross. And Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. When you, when you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. And, 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 and how, you know, we, we talked about what, what we've put ahead of the gospel. What have we put ahead of Jesus Right? And then we, we kind of we looked into this, the idea that the cross is, is foolishness to the world, man. It, it just doesn't make sense that the Messiah would die on a cross. And, it's, and it sounds just ridiculous. It sounds like it was a weak plan to begin with. But the reality of it is the foolishness and the apparent weakness of the cross. It's God's display of power, might, majesty. And then we continued on into the idea of, of you know, Jesus calls us to follow him. And if we're going to serve him, we have to follow him. And sometimes being obedient to God and the things of God is, is difficult and, and it's hard. And the things that we consider difficult, we looked at last week, are really kind of a joke. And when Jesus calls us to him, he knows exactly he knows exactly what he has called us to, the life that he's called us to, because he lived that life. He lived his life in obedience to the things of God, even when they were difficult and hard. So that's kind of our journey up until this point to Lent, through Lent. And we wanted to really focus on Christ and who Christ was and, and what Christ was doing. And now it brings us to this Sunday, which is traditionally Palm Sunday. And you all had the palms on your, on your chairs this morning. And these palms, they, they represent in the tradition, they represent victory. And Matthew and Mark, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, they said that the people were running and cutting these off the trees and they were waving them as a sign of victory. And so we celebrate Palm Sunday, we, and we, these are a symbol of the victory of Jesus and the victory that we have because of Jesus. And, and so Jesus is coming in, right, and the crowd is just going crazy, and, and this is kind of what Palm Sunday is about. We, we celebrate this whole liturgical holiday. Now, this is not something new. This actually began, some say, around 4th century in Jerusalem. So, hey, Ben, no hitting your wife with the palms now. And so, and so it was, it was, so it's been with us for, uh, for a long time. But before we can get to the gospel, before we can get to the New Testament, we've got to spend some time this morning, I believe, in the Old Testament. We have to do kind of like a, I don't know, a Bible study maybe um, in, in the book of Isaiah. See, before we can go way to the, to the New Testament, we've got to go 600 years back to the writings of Isaiah. So this morning we're going to go to Begin with Isaiah chapter 42. And I will read 
And you can read along with us. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. and He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering, smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. So what we have going on here is the introduction of a servant. We could say maybe a servant of the Lord. And without any pomp or circumstances, this servant is going to come on the scene and he's going to change things. He's going to renovate the entire world. And those first kind of about bringing justice and all, and, he's, and, and, and um, to bring justice to the nations is kind of the language of a king. A king would come and do this for his people, that he would bring justice to the kingdom, justice to his people. But the language used reflects a king, but it starts off saying that this is a servant. And a servant doesn't do anything on their own. A servant... Um, looks to the master. A servant doesn't act in their own strength. A servant doesn't act in their own plan. And this servant will follow God and God alone. And not only is God pleased with him, but the spirit, the spirit of God will be upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. And you know, this goes way beyond what we think justice um, in, in our humanity, in our own human mindset. This goes beyond forgiveness and punishment. This goes beyond like this uh, equality of distribution of goods and things like that. This is about creation finally getting back to the way God originally attended, attend, intend, intended creation to be. God wants to put it all back together again. You see, if we as humans, if the world looks to our own selves for life and for order and for justice, we will continue to fall apart. We will continue to struggle in those things. But if we were to look to the justice that God will bring, that God will establish, things will begin to go better for us. Now, historically, when a king or a royal figure would come and would come to establish justice in the kingdom, they would do so by a display of power. They would do so in, in, in an in a earthly power. They, w- they would go and they would crush and then rebuild or they would disperse and then regather. Even if the crushing or the dispersing was, was something that was evil and it had to go anyway. And so there's this display of earthly power, but something different is going to happen with this servant. Something very radical because see, he's coming in and he's not even going to break a bent reed. He's not even going to put out a candle wick that is smoldering. He's not going to yell or shout from the street or draw some self-centered attention to himself. Something very different is about this servant. You see, God is not going to answer oppression by more oppression. God is not going to deal with the arrogance by or with more arrogance. His answer is a quietness. And in a, in a humility, simplicity, and even a, a peace, which, you know, it sounds foolish to me. Now, don't think the servant here that this, I mean, talk about, he's going to be some pushover. He's going to be some weak 
belly up type of man because he will in righteousness establish justice on this earth. He's not offering it as a possibility. He's not offering it as a recommendation. He's not presenting it as a, hey, maybe if you're thinking, no. He will once for all establish the righteousness and the justice of God on this earth. That's his purpose in coming. And he will bring that justice to all of the nations, to the Jew and to the Gentile, and all of the world will put their hope in him, in his teaching. We're going to begin to look away from depending upon ourselves and finally focus and look to God. And we will look to God no matter what, no matter the circumstances, no matter the weight of the matter that we're in, no matter of the timing, if it seems wrong, if it seems bad, if it doesn't fit our schedule, we will stop depending on ourselves and we will once and for all look to God. Let's continue on in our survey of this text. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. The one who is calling this servant, the one who is sending this servant out is no other than the creator of everything. The Lord, our God. And see, this is important for us to get a hold of because this ministry is not going to establish some suit, some new regime. It's not going to be a changing of the guard. This is a renewal of all things. This is a renewal back to the way that God has originally intended everything to work. Maybe we can use words like redeemed and reconcile, and wholeness. Maybe we can use words like shalom, or even peace. The Lord God, the one who has exclusive rights over everything, the creator of the heaven and the earth. He has exclusive rights over the universe and all of its inhabitants. He has breathed the breath of life into everything that lives. The Lord God has called this servant's to go proclaim justice. And his call is not some snap decision. His call is not some fly-by-night, spur-of-the-moment thing. It will come at the right place. It will come in the right time. It will come for the right purpose. And that place and that time and that purpose is God's divine plan given to us and given for us that we may be redeemed. The servant will not offer, the servant's not going to offer a covenant. The servant, servant will be the covenant for the world. 
and see, this is, this is good for us because God is going to do some delivering. God is going to do some freeing. People will be freed from darkness. People will finally, once and for all, be freed from spiritual darkness. And that darkness finds its roots in our own self-idolatry. That when we make ourselves the most important thing, we actually cast ourselves into a darkness, a spiritual darkness. Humanity throughout history has tried to explain everything in terms of us. It's what the Enlightenment did. Try to figure it out in terms of our own wisdom, our own definitions, our own interpretations. When we try to go in that direction, guess what? We miss everything. We miss it big time. And through the servants of the Lord, the light will shine into that darkness. And we will be set free from that darkness. We can't fix brokenness with the very brokenness we're trying to fix. You tracking with that? We cannot fix brokenness with the very brokenness we are trying to fix. And so God has given us a covenant and this light will shine into, into our world. And so this covenant will be given to some people and those, peoples will be, those people will be called servants. And then that covenant will go out into all of the world. And, and, you know, here's the funny thing about covenants. God is really good at keeping his. Us, not so much. And even when we fell apart, we ruined it, we broke the covenant, God still is offering us something. God still wants to save us from ourselves, from sin. And so God, this servant will introduce or fulfill God's covenant to his people, saying or showing, demonstrating that God is committed to loving us even when we don't deserve his love. He's proclaiming the love of God to people who many times believe, and I'm sure that you have been there at one point in your, your Christian walk, where you believe that God is done with you, that he is not going to forgive you, that you have messed up one too many times, that he is distant from you, that he doesn't even, he is sick and tired of that behavior in you. That, but, the, but the proclamation of the servant, servant is to say, no. There's a new covenant and it's of light and it's of freedom. And it's the covenant that God not only loves you, God is in love with you. God is in love with you. God is in love with you. And he will empower us to now keep the covenant that he has given us because it's it's an internal thing, and we talked about it last week. There's a, there's a transformation inside our very heart. God gives us the very thing he expects from us. That's the grace, the mercy of God. And he will confirm, the servant will confirm that our God, Yahweh, is the one and only God. Our God, Yahweh, is the Savior, and Yahweh is his covenant name given to Moses, the reality of who he is, unchanging, personal, relational, and he will not share his glory with anyone 
or anything. He will not share his praise with idols. He is our God. And he will save his people. He will deliver his people from the darkness. And you see, he has to deliver us from the darkness, not because you're so special and so good looking. God will save us from our spiritual bondage and darkness for his namesake and for his glory, not just because we're Oasis Church and we dress really cool. You following me? He will not be robbed of his glory. And the servant will come. And, and, and because of the servant coming, we will not be stuck in this human sinful inheritance, but we will be given an inheritance of the kingdom of God. And the servant will absorb him into himself all of the wrongs that we've done, all of the brokenness of the world, all of the hurt, all of the pain, and give back grace. And it will give back us. He will give back the selves that we were meant to be. And God is speaking through Isaiah long before this happens to make sure that when it happens, you know. This is not, this is not, wow, surprise. No, you know the servant come and do the things that God has asked him to do. And now we can fast forward 600 years to the gospel where Luke would write. Now, before we get there, I'm going to read just a section of the text that's not on the, on the screen because there was a lot, and I just want to read through this. Uh, this is Luke chapter 19. I'll start reading in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just like he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and Jesus and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people started spreading their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began, joyfully, uh, began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is when King Jesus comes on the scene and as a king riding into victory into the city. And so Jesus would ride into the city, but he would not ride on a war horse as a king would normally ride into, he rode on a colt, which is a sign or a symbol of humility and peace, maybe even the sign of a servant. And the people are excited. The people are pumped. This is the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what they've been waiting for. And all of these people, 
Thousands of people are here for the Passover, for this celebration, for a very spiritual religious festival. One that God told them that they had to celebrate every single year. And so now they're celebrating this festival and the Messiah is here. The king is here. This is like the icing on the cake. And there's this buzz that's going through the whole city. And there's people just like, just like fist pumping and, you know, like, woo-hoo, and, you know, the whole Messiah thing's going on. And they're, 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 they're excited about it. And then we get we get one too many. Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Tens of thousands of people just like everywhere doing their religious duty. And, and, and he comes down and, and, he, and I can imagine him just stopping and looking out over the city. And people are busy. They're, they're preparing their sacrifices. They're, they're buying their lambs. They're meeting with friends. They're, they're prepping their food. They're, they're cleaning and preparing for guests to come in their homes because company clean even took place in the first century, not only today. And so they're preparing for guests and, and they're preparing for this sacred religious celebration, the Passover, which is a turning point. It's a major turning point in the history of Israel because the Passover happened and then which led to the Exodus, which led this, this um, establishment of God's people. And they would travel out and God would promise them and work through them and work in them and work around them and lead them to the promised land. So this festival is a pretty major deal. It's, it's, it's a good one to celebrate. It has a very deeply sacred and religious um, ex- experience attached to it. And Jesus, he's taking it all in, right? He's, he's riding on this colt and he's, he gets maybe to this certain point and he, and he looks out, man, and, and he, sees, he sees all the people. They're all like getting ready. Passover. This is not this this is a religious thing. It's a sacred thing. He begins he begins to weep. He begins to cry. And this is not like the tear that kind of your eyes get a little drippy and you know you get that one tear. This is sobbing, wailing. He says, if you only you knew what he says it through tears and through brokenness. Essentially saying, if you only knew what would bring, what would make you complete, if only you would know what would make you whole, if you only knew where spiritual health and prosperity came from. If you only knew where you can find contentment and reconciliation. See, God has set it up for these people. We just looked at one of the places where the servant is described. 
And he's been doing it all along. He's been foretelling that this is what's going to happen. Displaying it. Everything pointing to this time in history. And even the people that are whooping it up with them. Cutting the branches. Waving them in victory. Putting the coats down on the road. They don't understand. And they are missing it. And all of these people are busy doing for God. They're busy preparing for this religious celebration. And the temple, they have to make sure the sacrifice is right. And they have, to, they have to get with all the people. But they've missed it. If only they knew it would bring them peace. Jesus' heart is broken for them. I mean, there's, this, there's these feelings of, of anger and frustration and pain and sadness. All within this, all within a, a deep love for them. If they only knew what would bring them peace. A few years ago, Rob Bell wrote a book, and I can't remember the full title of the book, but in the title, I believe, of the book was the line Jesus wants to save Christians. And I thought, how fitting that quote and this this verse. Jesus wants to save Christians because we are coming up onto our Easter celebration. This is a pretty big holiday, in case you were wondering, on the Christian calendar. Okay, There's going to be people here next week that we haven't seen in like a year. Okay, So this is a pretty big deal when they come to church. All right, this is this is this is something pretty good. Kind of almost like the Jewish Passover. It's a turning point for us. Jesus rising from the dead is a big deal to us. And I can't help as I was just kind of letting this all marinate this week in my in my mind. I can't help but to think that Jesus is still weeping. And still looking up at dad and going, if they only knew what would bring them peace. If they only knew what would bring them peace. Because you know what? Let me tell you something. Bible studies do not bring you peace. Studying the Bible doesn't bring you peace. John chapter 5, verse 30, something. Okay? Jesus says, you, you search the scriptures, you study them to find eternal life, but they all point to me, but yet you won't come to me to get life. Studying the Bible does not bring peace. I was reminded, I watched a little video clip today that uh, Dave turned me on to. And, um, and, and, and so I, and I want to remind you of this too, because we've talked about this. You can have a relationship with the Bible and have no relationship with Christ. Yeah. Talk about that over lunch today. And you know what? Good Friday service, it's going to be this sacred, solemn time. That is not going to bring you peace. Easter Sunday celebration is not going to bring you peace. And in fact, you know what? Some of you are going to come in here on Easter Sunday 
The day that we celebrate the risen Lord, and there's going to all be, he's risen, he's risen indeed, and all of those things are going to take place, right? Some of you are going to come in here, and you're going to be tired, because you spent all day Saturday cleaning the house, getting ready for Easter dinner. And some of you are going to come right into this room on Easter Sunday, and you're going to be distracted, because you're going to be thinking, man, i got to put the pot roast in, i got to get the ham in, who's got the pierogies? And then you're going to be thinking, man, i got to go home, I hope that... I'm hoping that the traffic isn't too bad. we got to go all the way to Westport. Why are we having it at their house this year? And you're going to be tired, distracted, frustrated, and almost wishing that Easter just never came. Easter, the celebration of Easter, does not bring us peace. The only thing that brings peace Jesus. Period. One word. You want to add his last name, Messiah, that's cool, but really just one word. Jesus. The only thing that brings us peace. Everything that we do in our faith journey, our jobs, our family, parenting, everything should lead us into a deeper, intimate understanding. Jesus especially the things that we do as a church. In the, in the, with the, if we hang the slate of sacred or church or whatever, it has to point to Jesus. You know, I've, I get to travel a lot um, in my line of work, which is a huge blessing. And I've traveled the world and I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of conversations. And I've talked to many Christian people I've talked to a lot of non-Christian people. But this is what I find about uh, when I talk to many, many people who consider themselves Christians, that they know a lot about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They can quote me chapter and verse, and they know the stories, and they know the moral behind the stories, and they know the deeper meaning behind the moral, behind the stories, and they got all that going on. But if they only knew what them Jesus. They know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him. And, and it's, it's, it's the person, it's the God, it's the relationship, it's the intimacy, it's Jesus. It's always been him. It never has been the, the things that we've added to or shrouded around or said that we have to do this or that. You know, all my life, I've been a fan of Charlie Daniels. And um, even back in Miss Martha's class, fifth grade, St. Joseph Catholic School, Miss Martha was the music teacher. And every month, we would have to get up in front of the class and we would have to sing a song. So now my parents had this eight-track cassette I don't know if you remember, it was called The Goofy Greats. It had like the itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow, that one, and the bloody red bear, and you know, and all those really classic songs. And on that cassette or uh, tape was what introduced me to Charlie Daniels, and it was the ballad of the uneasy rider. And I remember one day getting up in front of Miss Martha's class in my tie, red tie. Well, I don't wear them now, inoculated, white shirt, blue trousers, different color socks because I was a rebel even back then. And I was going to sing the ballad of the uneasy rider. 
And I started off, I was taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, token on a number and digging on a radio. Just as I crossed the Mississippi line, I heard that highway start whining. I knew that left rear tire was about to go. But the spare was flat, and I got up tight, and there wasn't a fill. And, say, and I can go. I still know it to this very day. Though back then, I didn't own that whole token on a number thing. But I Googled it last week, and now I do. So, uh, you know, like, I'm glad Miss Martha didn't know what it meant either, because that would have just been embarrassing. Um, and I got a B because she said it was more of a spoken word and not really singing. Charlie Daniels, please. But that, that just grew my, my, I just loved Charlie Daniels. And as I got older, I started to learn all of his songs on my guitar. I mean, not just a, not just a, you know, Devil Went Down to Georgia, which everybody knows. I mean, I mean, the good Charlie Daniels, long haired country boy stuff when he was talking about things we shouldn't talk about in church. And, and so, you know, and I really, I, I liked him. And I learned all his songs. I could play on my guitar. And then I, I went to see him a couple times in concert. And I was, I was at the Oakdale one time watching him when the Oakdale was actually round and, and it had the zucchini in the middle and, and you know, the people would just spin around like this. And, and, and so we're watching Charlie Daniels and I turned around and at the end of the show and this lady hands me a backstage pass. I'm like, oh, wow. I was with people. I just left them. I'm just like, I'm, I'm out of here, man. And so I went backstage and you had to stand out like in this little area and the trailer door would open and there he is, man. It's Charlie Daniels sitting in a chair, okay? So, so I'm standing there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and, and I, had a, I remember I had a black T-shirt on with a big peace sign on it, and the door swings open, and he looks right at me. He goes, hey, send that boy in with a peace sign on his shirt. I cruise on in, right? Shake his hand, and I had so many things I was thinking and wanted to say, and I think I went like, you know, I mean, this is like Charlie Daniels, right? And he autographed a picture for me, and he offered me a beer, but as a good Christian, I said no. And so then I sat down, and, and I just, I was just, I, I made some small talk with him, and then there was a lot of other things going on. And so, I mean, I know a lot about Charlie Daniels. I can sing his songs. I can play them on my guitar. I met him, shook his hand. I have the evidence, but I still have the backstage pass and the autographed picture that he gave to me. Oh, yes, and it does say to Dennis on it. Thank you very much. But you know what? I don't know Charlie Daniels. I know my wife. I know my children. I know my mom, dad. I know my, I know my friends. I don't know Charlie Daniels. Are you following me? My fear, my fear as a pastor for, for our church is that there's people in this very room right now that know about Jesus. They can, they can answer all the questions. They can regurgitate the chapter and verse. They know a lot about Jesus. But they don't know him. If you only knew what would bring peace. If you only would know it would bring peace to, to those thoughts that just rip through your mind that say that you're not good enough. You're not, you're not man enough. You're not woman enough. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You're not a good kid. You don't deserve that. You can't be forgiven. If you would only know what would bring you peace. 
if you only knew what would bring you peace to, to your marriage and to those relationships, if you only knew what would bring you, bring you peace to, to the brokenness of your heart, if you only knew, I have to, I just have this, this, this gut impression that as the church, not just us, but the church, as we begin to get ready for Easter, Jesus, he weeps. He says, man, they only knew, they only knew what would bring them peace. Because Easter is not about what we can do. Easter is not about how well we can celebrate. You know, I get, you know, I've bought things for church and and I'm on these pastor blogs and all these websites that email me stuff all the time. And my inbox is continually being filled up more and more this week and it's going to get even worse next week on how we can make a memorable Easter service next week how we can really hook the people in, how we can, we can have people talking about it for weeks and weeks to come afterwards, how we can get those people that only come once a year, how we can link them in and get them to come back again because we should start a whole new sermon series after Easter and we should make a, like a movie trailer video because that's really going to connect the people. And I was like, <laughs> we missed it. If we only knew what would bring us peace. Easter is not about what we can do. Easter is about what's already been done. Easter is about what God has already accomplished through Jesus Christ. And everything that we do needs to point to Christ. And not anything else, not even things that look good. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Bible study. Jim, if they don't show up, you let me know. We'll have a little one-on-one with some people. Bonnie, same thing. There's no ladies. I'm not, those things are good. I mean, they're good. But it's in Christ and Christ alone that we find our peace. Jesus' words to his people are, if you only knew, And so even, even our communion table this morning, this is a sacred table. Ain't nothing magical about it. This table points us to Christ. This table reminds us of Christ. And so as you make your way forward to get the cup and to get the bread, remember Remember what it is that will bring you peace. And when you come and and you take the cup and have a seat back and have it sit back down and and we will take we'll take communion together. So you can come as you are ready.